Hey, here is Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of my podcast on native like fluency. This is my first episode in 2023, and I wish everyone a happy and prosperous year. This is a new year and a new beginning for many. Many will start a whole new life from scratch in 2023, and I want to devote this episode to those people who are starting a new life in a new country far away from home. Those people who are probably joining a new company, a new team, and their focus for 2023 is to learn to build meaningful relationships with others and with themselves. To learn to belong with other people who speak differently, who think differently, who grew up in a different cultural context, and at the same time, to connect with them in an authentic way without losing themselves and their own identity. This year is going to be the year of confidence. At least that's what I want for myself. At least that's going to be my focus. And I want to encourage everybody to start taking themselves seriously. Start taking yourself more seriously. You can't even imagine how much you can achieve as a learner and as a person if you put in conscious effort to achieve your goals, to achieve whatever it is that you're passionate about. Take your practice routine more seriously. Take your power as a learner more seriously. Take the power of your decisions more seriously. The decisions that you make every day create your tomorrow. Many people wait for tomorrow to happen to them, but I encourage you to create the tomorrow that you want to have. In this episode, I will be doing my favorite exercise in real time for you. I will be reading out loud. I will be reading an excerpt from the book Global Dexterity, How to Adapt Your Behavior Across Cultures Without Losing Yourself in the Process. If you are a community member, grab the book in the community of practice. I share books from my personal collections with the community members who want to practice. Open the book in page 153, chapter 5, and practice together with me. Or if you have the book, or if you want to grab the book, go and get it on Amazon, open it on page 153, and read together with me. I will repeat again and again, even though I've said it a million times, that reading out loud is one of the most effective exercises that can teach you to understand the rhythm and the melody of the English language. When you read out loud, your job is not to read the text correctly. That's not the point. Your job is to show to others who do not see the text, who haven't seen the text as many times as you have before you started reading it, your job is to show them what the text is about. Meaning the result of your reading should be them seeing what you're reading. They need to see what you mean. They need to have a very clear image in their head about the things that you're trying to show them. Because you're not reading to them. You're telling them something. You're trying to show them something. You're trying to make a point. And you can't do this very well in a foreign language, especially in English, if you do not understand the rhythm of English, if you do not understand where you need to pause, which words must be stressed, and which words must be stressed more than other words. 
what you need to do with your intonations and what your intonations can convey. And where one idea ends and another begins. If you are a community member, you can go to the space Read Out Loud with me and you will find the entire collection of Natalia Reads with both audio and video files and you will find the transcript of every text that I'm reading. Go there, practice with me, record yourself, post your work in the comments and you will receive feedback on your work as always in the community of practice. And now let's start reading. I hope you're gonna like the pages that I chose to read for you. If you're someone who is working in an international company, grab that book. It's a useful one. I'm going to read an excerpt from Global Dexterity, how to adapt your behavior across cultures without losing yourself in the process. This is from chapter five. Overcome challenges by customizing your cultural behavior. Customizing behavior is a bit like purchasing a suit and having it tailored to your exact specifications. You take it off the rack, wear it a bit so you can see how it works for you, and then bring it to a tailor to make it fit just right, letting it out a bit here, taking it in a bit there. Like wearing a customized piece of clothing, adapting cultural behavior does not mean having to stuff yourself into a garment if it isn't exactly your style. The tailoring changes the garment, but it's still something you chose. It still allows you to express your own individuality. Just as you can customize clothing, you can also learn to customize your cultural behavior using the following customization tactics. Make small, but personally meaningful adjustments. How can you customize your behavior to make it both acceptable to others and also acceptable to you at the same time? Your tendency may be to think big, to think of major changes in how you behave. However, what I find most successful is actually to think small to make small but meaningful adjustments in how you act so that you infuse part of yourself into the behavior while maintaining cultural appropriateness. Putting a Russian spin on American-style assertiveness. Let's look at the case of Irina Pavlova, a management consultant from Russia working for a major U.S. consulting company. Irina's cultural adaptation challenge was learning to be assertive in asking her boss to place her on high-profile projects at work. At the particular firm where Irina worked, there was a quarterly internal competition to decide which consultants would be placed on the most compelling projects. Placement on these projects was an opportunity to build skills and generate visibility within the firm, both of which were critical for promotion. In fact, when she first arrived at the firm, Irina watched with amazement at how others vigorously advocated for themselves, saying that they'd love to take on a particular project and that they'd be the perfect person to do the job. It made Irina sick to think about how important this behavior was and also how uncomfortable it would be for her to perform it. Irina came from a culture where vying for projects and, more importantly, speaking assertively with one's boss was simply not part of the cultural fabric. So, for Irina, this behavior was particularly challenging along the assertiveness dimension of the cultural code. There existed a significant gap between her own personal comfort zone and the zone of appropriateness in the U.S. culture, or at least in the culture of her particular firm. She struggled with this challenge for months, knowing what she needed to do, but afraid that in adapting behavior, she would lose herself in the process. 
Eventually, Irina was able to make a very slight but meaningful adjustment in her behavior that had a significant impact on her experience. Instead of using direct, assertive language like her colleagues, for example, I'd love to take on that project, Irina chose to phrase the statement in the form of a question, asking if she could be helpful in taking the lead on a particular project. She phrased the request as a question, but the overall message was that she was actually vying for the position. And in fact, she would then follow up by explaining why she would be a good choice. However, by leading with a question instead of a statement, Irina reduced her discomfort and found a way to be effective and authentic at the same time. It felt more differential, polite, and just more her style. Put in a Greek spin on meetings in Luxembourg. Minor linguistic changes, such as those adopted by Irina, can actually have a relatively major effect on people's experiences of the new cultural norms. That was definitely the case for Kostas Papadopoulos, a Greek banker learning to adapt his behavior during business meetings in Luxembourg. In Greece, meetings were, as Kostas put it, a complete free-for-all. People wouldn't think twice about expressing their opinions loudly and assertively, even if someone else was speaking. And Costas liked it that way. He loved the Greek culture. It was in his blood and felt alive to him. That's why it was so hard to adapt to Luxembourg's controlled, methodical, orderly business culture. He felt like a fish out of water. Initially, Costas tried his natural Greek style, but he quickly learned from the dismayed looks on his colleagues' faces how inappropriate this behavior was. He wanted to accommodate and be effective, but he also did not want to lose himself in the process. His solution? Like Irina, he made a minor but meaningful accommodation. Rather than aggressively inserting his voice and point of view into a discussion, as he would have done in Greece, Costas used polite expressions as a tool for softening any interruptions he would make. He would say things like, sorry for interrupting, or if I may, and then glance at the relevant person to make sure it seemed okay to continue speaking. In Greece, these niceties would be unnecessary, and in fact, he might have even been perceived as weak if he had used them. In Luxembourg, however, They helped him create a blend between an important aspect of his personal style that he did not want to relinquish and the more civil Luxembourg culture. Putting an American spin on a Chinese interview. A very different example of customizing comes from David Carey, an American manager looking to relocate to China after several years' work experience in the financial services industry. David's cultural struggle concerns Chinese interviewing norms which are very different than those with which he was most familiar. In China, unlike in the United States, the emphasis in interviewing is on fitting in and being part of the system. Yet David did not see himself or want to present himself as someone who could merely fit in. Quite individualistic by nature, David had always seen himself as unique and able to provide unique value. He did not want to just be a cog in the machine. He wanted to shine. However, this attitude did not work in China, as David realized after a slew of unsuccessful job interviews. 
Eventually, after much trial and error, David hit on a solution that represented a relatively small accommodation, but one that was successful both internally for him as well as externally. What David did was to create a blend between individualism and collectivism. He accommodated to the Chinese standard to show that he was sincere in adapting to that culture. However, he also retained part of himself in the process by peppering the basic Chinese script with occasional references to his uniqueness and how he could provide the firm with unique value. In the end, this blend was successful, as David himself noted. I was more individualistic than what would be expected from a Chinese interviewee, but I was sure not to show too much individualism. That would make me come across as ignorant of the cultural norms and expectations. Personalizing a PowerPoint presentation. A final example of customization comes from John Drake, an American manager working at a U.S. industrial firm that had recently been purchased by a much larger German company. John was a true entrepreneur. If you gave him a task, John would figure out a way to get it done, his way, and it would almost always be in a way that worked better than you had imagined. A problem arose, however, when John's spontaneous improvisational style conflicted with a strict focus on protocol at the German firm. John respected the efficiency and productivity of the German style, but it also felt constraining. In the old organization, all that mattered was that the work got done. Under the new German owners, on the other hand, it sometimes felt as if the process was even more important than the end result. All the checklists, check-ins, standard protocols, and other procedures felt overly bureaucratic and, frankly, like a waste of time. Ever the entrepreneur, however, John came up with a plan to inject a bit of himself into his work in the new culture. He knew that he could never make major changes to the standard protocol because it was so central to the new culture. However, he realized that he did have some leeway to customize his experience, and that's exactly what he did. One day, while delivering a PowerPoint presentation to the group, John did something no one at the firm had ever done. The presentation was about communicating a new organizational change process to employees across the globe. And John was making the point that unless the communication was novel and memorable, there would be negative consequences. What type of consequences? John clicked to the next slide, which his colleagues undoubtedly expected to be an Excel graph, but which instead was a photo of his kids sleeping on a hammock. The American colleagues in the room laughed. The German colleagues also smiled. It was a bit risky, but John figured that if he couldn't inject a bit of himself into the process, he wasn't staying at the company for the long term anyway. Luckily, the photo was a hit, in part because it was genuinely funny, but also because the rest of his presentation was on point and had followed firm protocol. This was an example where injecting even a bit of his true self helped John find a way to feel authentic and get the job done. Thanks a lot for listening. You will find this exercise and many other creative exercises to help you practice the skills that you need to practice to achieve native-like fluency in our community of practice. Go choose your focus, choose your exercise, get feedback on your work, 
and learn to become a daring learner to continuously improve your communication skills and your learning skills because you're going to learn so many more skills in life. Learn the algorithm of learning better. Remember that there is a free welcome video course in the community of practice for all the new members. It's yours forever. Enroll in this course and watch the lessons to get a better understanding of what you can achieve in the community of practice and how to make the best use of it. Even after your free trial is over, the course is still going to be available for you. I recorded this course for new people who want to understand the method better and who want to learn to become better learners. I'll see you in the next episodes.